Welcome to History Class After Hours. I'm Joseph Barra, and joining me is Wes, our our Civil War aficionado. Yes. And he is going to tell us about another Civil War. This time, it's going to be the Chinese Civil War. So, yeah, the Chinese Civil War, um, it was a direct result of the 1911 Revolution, um, which overthrew the monarchy and installed a prime minister, but that prime minister didn't stabilize China before he died because he wanted to be emperor. Um, so it just led to a bunch of warlording for the next, uh, for about 20 years. And the last emperor was Pui. Yes. Good movie about him. It's called The Last Emperor. <laughs> kind of an interesting character. He becomes a puppet of the China, uh, Japanese during World War II. Oh. And then they like throw him in a re-education camp after World War II. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then in 1927, the Communist Party, which had been uh, garnering support from the Soviet Union um, for the past couple of years uh, through uh, uprising against the Nationalist Party, KMT, uh, the Kilmintong Tang. Uh, I can't pronounce any of these words. So. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Yeah. Um, which led to the creation of their Red Army. Um, and they're pushed southwards, which wasn't very successful because as soon as they pushed out of the uh, out of Nanjing, the city that they first started in, the nationalists just came back in and took it because they didn't leave anybody behind to guard it. Um, and uh, it became the ten what they know as the ten years civil war in mainland China because they have to stop once they get to World War Two. Uh, and so at this time there were three capitals because the communists weren't very uh, unified. Uh, there was Beijing, uh, which was the internationally re recognized capital for the KMT. There was Wuhan for the left-wing uh, KMT. No, Be so Beijing was the CCP and the left-wing KMT. And then Nanjing which was the right-wing KMT. Like, they're very, like, split. The KMT is split, not the CCP. This is giving me a very much Spanish Civil War vibes <laughs> this is, here. Yeah. Is, this, is this going to be as confusing as Spanish Civil War? I think it's sl only slightly less. Okay. okay. It's, it's, it's less confusing, <clears throat> mainly because I think we have less people randomly dying. I mean, oh, yeah. There's... there's yeah. Um, um, one thing important to understand, China, extremely poor country at this point. Yes. Overwhelming majority of the population is extremely uh, poor, peasant, peasant yeah. class. Uh, so communism looks really good to some Just, of these people. They love it. Yes, because they're saying, hey, we're going to give you food and a house. One of the reasons they win so well is because they say, we'll give you food. Yes, yeah. <laughs> which they're lacking. So. Yeah. Uh, uh, some highlights of this 10 years war. Um, was uh, the Central Plains War, an internal struggle in the KMT where I had to fight some warlords and um, allies. Um, they, they were basically, they half of their forces split off and said, we don't like what you're doing, so we're gonna fight you. And so they had to put that down, which was costly and um, took a lot of money away. They won, but it, 
it was taxing on their um, wallet. So fighting the CCP was not as easy. So you have nationalists fighting nationalists who are also fighting communists. Yes. Okay. But it hurts their fight against the communists because they run out of money. It happens. Yeah. Um, so they uh, they start doing encircling, encirclement campaigns around Mao Zedong and the other communist parties, uh, uh, army. Uh, but they just try and go in and like penetrate their 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 lines, and it just doesn't work because <laughs> they're just because they go in, they attack, and then they just pull out. And so it's not it's not a, it's not accomplishing anything. So they're just sustaining heavy losses. So by the fifth time that failed, um, they hired some Nazis uh, or a specific Nazi. Uh, I don't remember what his name was, but they hired a Nazi and he said, you should build these little houses. They're called block houses uh, around the line. And they it's really like they're like houses with little slats in the walls. And they just in the sense the CCP didn't have siege equipment. Uh, you could just fire at them from these little fortified houses in a barrier and they couldn't get through. Um, and it worked and they, and they, they were starving out the CCP, but, um, a local warlord, the warlords didn't, didn't like to fight the communists because the people love the communists and they didn't want the warlords didn't want to lose their armies. <laughs> so, uh, the warlords sort of just like let the communists go in the blockhouses they were supposed to be manning. They just sort of like left and and which started uh, a period known as the long march in which um mao zedong's uh, army marched reportedly traversed nine thousand kilometers <clears throat> over 370 days um and it ended when they reached the interior of shangji which as i'm pretty sure somewhere in like the northern area mm -hmm. But don't quote me on that. Yeah, it's 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 in northern China, and I believe they start living in caves, right? Yeah, you just kind of reset up camp there. Um, uh, purportedly, uh, the ninety thousand to a hundred thousand people who began it, um, only seven thousand to eight thousand made it to the end of the march. So, so you're saying they have to rebuild a little bit? Yeah. Um, and so there was this another communist leader, uh, Zhang. Um, he had his army destroyed because that's who the KMT was focusing on. Um, but they were, but, uh, so he was, he was the only person who was like sort of equal in power to Mao Zedong, but now he doesn't have his army. He doesn't have any power. And this has sort of made uh, Mao Zedong the, the de facto leader of the Chinese communist party. But so the, if, if they'd not been able to escape that encirclement, um, Mao Zedong probably would not be the leader of the Communist Party. So we have some warlords to thank for yeah. current geopolitical tensions. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, and so, but during Japan's invasion and occupation of Manchuria, where they did that whole false flag thing. Uh, what Wes is talking about is called the Manchurian incident. Um, there is a Japanese-owned railroad in northeastern China, province called Manchuria. Some Japanese commandos go, and they plant explosives on the train. <laughs> they do so much damage to the train track that a train literally goes by about five minutes later, unappeated on its journey, 
but they say Chinese nationalists did this. We need to bring in our army in order to protect our interest. And they just end up taking large swaths of China. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. That, that was the that, Manchurian incident. Yeah, that, yep. That, and yep. Most people often say that's the, the first like a, first part of World War II, starting yeah. there in 1931. It's like the Gulf of Tonkin. Yeah. Except we kinda were probably fired on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, and so the leader of the KMT, Kang Chang Kai-shek, uh, he saw the CCP as the greater threat. His plan was wipe out the communists, and then we can turn and use all of our forces and attack the Japanese. <coughs> uh, because he believed his his forces were too weak to face the Japanese, and he was right, but nobody, you know, thought that. Um, and so uh, two of his disgruntled generals were like, you know what? We're going to kidnap you and force you to fight the Japanese with the communists. Um, yeah. And that became known as the Zion incident because his own top two guys turned on him and forced him to sign a truce with the communists so they could fight the Japanese. I kind of understand that, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Japanese were being quite. Um, they, they were. They were com committing a lot of atrocities. We'll put it they, that way. They, yeah, they were doing. They were doing. They were doing some, some pretty horrible stuff. Yes. Yeah. I, it's, it's fair, but also the the upper hand this gave the communists really wasn't. I don't feel like in the long run worth the immediate uh, failure because they were fighting the Japanese. They just weren't very good at it. No, they were not. Yeah. So um, they so both parties suspended fighting. They signed a truce, and they they formed a second united front, is what they called it, to focus their energies and fight the Japanese. And so in 1937, when Japan launched its full-scale invasion of China, its well-equipped troop, uh, troops overran the KMT easily because they were not equipped very well with weapons and supplies. And um, in this alliance that they made was really in name only. The communists never, um, and the KMT never like joined together, joined their forces together. They sort of just fought the Japanese independently of each other. Um, in the CCP, the communists used um, guerrilla tactics. Well, the KMT had to fight them head on because they were the official government, the internationally recognized government. So they had to actually act like a real army. At least they thought they did. <laughs> Um, so their, their actual cooperation was <clears> and, and they, they kept fighting each other instead of the Japanese because they still hated each other. Um, and the, to this extent that the United States went to the KMT and said, the only people you're helping is the Japanese and the Soviet Union went to the CCP and said the exact same thing. Um, so they both sort of stopped their infighting a little bit. So did the Soviets start supplying the, the communists Soviet, and yeah. then the Americans were supplying the KMT yeah. both yeah. to fight the Japanese? Yes. All right. But the Soviets have been supplying the communists to fight the KMT for, for long. Okay. Yeah. With like, uh, I think they were training generals and stuff. In general, developments in the, the second Sino-Japanese war, which is what they called what they were doing 
World War II, um, they were at an advantage of the CCP because they were um, their tactics have won them support with the with the people because they were actually like sort of kind of winning a little bit. Um, and but the KMT had to, as I said before, had to defend the country like publicly with big army stuff, and they were really bad at it. <laughs> so so the people were not not happy with that. Um, and uh, the CCP also suffered fewer losses due to its tactics, so they didn't lose as many men as the KMT did. So they they were only really growing stronger throughout the course of the war, while the KMT just kept losing guys. Also, then they work with the peasants better. Yeah, where the where the KMT was like yeah. taking like, stuff from them, where the the communists were like don't do anything to the peasants. Yeah. That this is our fan base. Yeah. let's not anger them. They they they, they knew who they were playing mm-hmm. playing to. Yeah, um, like by the end of the the war, the Red Army had grown by more than one point three million members, with a separate militia of over two point six million. Um. Uh, as opposed to the incomparable losses the KMT had faced. Um, And about 100 million people lived in CCP-controlled zones, a lot of which they could mobilize into an army if they wanted to, because they said they'd give them food. Um, And under the uh, terms of the Japanese unconditional surrender um, dictated by the Allies, the Japanese troops were supposed to surrender to the KMT and not the CCP. But like in Manchuria, where there was neither, uh, the, they surrendered to like Soviets, but um, and so they did surrender to the KMT most of the time. But in like communist-controlled areas, they were they they were they were under orders not to surrender to anybody with the KMT. But the communists were like, "We're gonna fight you if you don't surrender." So they just surrendered to the CCP, which made the KMT mad because they got all their howitzers and tanks. <laughs> um, Let's see. And uh, so the truce they had for most of the war fell apart in 1946 when a full-scale war broke out um, and they entered a a state of civil war which would last for more than three years. So during these three years, um, as I said, the communists grew considerably. Um, Their liberated zone had 19 bases, including one quarter of the country's territory and a third of its population, which included many of their important towns and cities. Um, and moreover, the Soviet Union, uh, when they were pulling out of Manchuria and China, they just they just sort of gave the communists all of the, the captured Japanese artillery and tanks. Um, so, yeah. And then when uh, large numbers of, of the well-trained KMT troops began to defect to the Red Army because they were like, yeah, we're not winning this. Um, the CCP was uh, finally able to achieve a material superiority. So now they had more people in the KMT and more, and I guess better weapons because the Japanese would have had better stuff. Um, And using uh, the pretext of receiving Japanese surrender, the KMT was able to solidify itself a little because they had to take back all the banks and stuff that Japanese had seized, but they really were just like robbing the banks blind because they had no money. Um, And they conscripted troops at an accelerated pace from the civilian population and hoarded supplies. They were preparing for the the resumption of the war with the communists. 
and this uh, caused great hardship for its, their um, residents of their city, such as Shanghai, which received a spike of 37% in unemployment because they had seized warehouses and banks and all these other sorts of things so they could prepare for the communists to attack them. They're, they're really trying their hardest to make uh, communism look uh, appealing to the people, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, 37% unemployment is... It's, it's, not, it's not good. That is not good. Put that in perspective. Great Depression, I think the highest we hit was like 18 to 20%. Yeah. I mean, it's almost double. It's not. The, the KMT is just kind of, they're not. They're not. They're not great at this whole appealing to the people thing. No, not at all. I think it's I think it's mainly due to their um they're very still tied to like um monarchical China. Like like they're they still have a lot of same policies and people in charge as who were in charge under the emperor. There's just no emperor. So yeah. So like they there's they're still they're still under the assumption that nobody's gonna question their right to rule, I think is their big flaw here. Even though they don't have a god given emperor anymore. And they've been fighting for 10 years against a group of people that are basically telling them. Yeah. All right. So, so learning from their mistakes after World War II and you had that, that ceasefire. Yeah. Do you think it would have been possible for the communists and KMT to come together and figure out like a coalition type government? Yes. But the KMT just kind of was like, nope. Yeah. And and uh, it didn't help that the CCP and the it didn't help they were so mad at each other after however many years they've been fighting at okay. this point. Um, they didn't like they didn't want to like they did they were in talks and Stalin was even trying to get the CCP to say hey form a coalition because he, he thought that would be better mm-hmm. in his interests, um, but they didn't like they didn't want to. Both sides were sort of like a mutual hate by this point. It probably would have ended up better for them if they had, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the U.S. supported the Comintang. Obviously, they they even sent about fifty thousand U.S. soldiers to guard strategic sites. Uh, and a thing called Operation Beleaguer. Um, and they equipped and trained KMT troops and transported Japanese and Koreans back to help KMT forces o- occupy the liberated zones, as well as to contain communist controlled areas because yeah, this is America that really hates communism. Mm-hmm. Um, the American aid included substantial amounts of surplus military supplies. And they, we made a lot of loans to the KMT, like a lot. <laughs> um, they received 4.43 billion from the U S mostly military aid. Um, and so knowing that they had the disadvantage, the CCP just uh, executed a passive defense strategy. It avoided the strong points of the KMT. It sort of like struck where all the, the, the strong bits were in. Um, it, it, let's see. Uh, and so the small towns, like where the peasants were, came under communist control because they liked the communists better. Um, as opposed to the cities. And then once they had all the small towns around the cities, they can move into the cities and take it more easily. Makes sense. Well, logical strategy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they also attempted like wear out the forces as much as possible. 
after a year, the the tactic was successful. Uh, the the KMT was let was uh, had lost one point one two million troops, um, which was a great deal of its force, leaving the communists with uh, better prepared and and more men. And their strength grew about two million during that time period because they recruited peasants. And by late 1948, they eventually captured like northern China, the Shenyang and Shangchun, and they seized control of the, the northeast. And they moved, started moving downwards, um, capturing and kicking out the KMT. And when they reached um, their capture of larger KMT units, uh, gave them the materials they needed to attack the bigger cities head on with like tanks, heavy artillery. And that's where that's when they started taking stuff around the Great Wall, like the more important city like Beijing. Uh, and on October 1st, 1949, Mao Zedong proclaimed the founding of the People's Republic of China with its capital at Beijing, well, Beiping, which was returned to the former name Beijing. And Chiang Kai-shek, the leader of the KMT, and approximately 2 million nationalist soldiers retreated from mainland China due to the incoming pressure because they, they kept moving south. They kept running away because they didn't have the ability to fight uh, like 5 million strong army with 2 million people. Um, they retreated to Taiwan where they've remained. Uh, they did, they do, they did try and take some islands and they around that area. Um, but they, that's basically where it sort of like ends because we're still sitting in this situation today where there's mainland China and there's Taiwan and they both hate each other. Yes, they do. So you got People's Republic of China, People's which Republic is China. mainland China. You have Taiwan, yep. which People's Republic of China claims is China. Is China, which Taiwan claims is it's not China. China. They're yep. a sovereign nation. The UN doesn't recognize Taiwan as a yes. sovereign nation. Uh-huh. Only Isn't it purely because China is part of the UN. UN, yeah. yeah, it's because China has a seat on a permanent seat on the Security Council, and they just veto that yeah. if it ever came up. Only I think only a handful of countries actually recognize do, Taiwan. Do we recognize Taiwan? We do recognize Taiwan, and that's why we have a uh, um, aircraft carrier and a naval yeah. fleet, typically we, chilling around the island yeah. somewhere. Um, I think we sent two of them shortly after they they got on taiwan to sort of like tell the the chinese to back off so only 13 countries currently recognize taiwan marshall islands nauru Peleliu, tuvalu eswantini the vatican belize guatemala haiti paraguay saint it's saint lucia so basically islands other islands are the only are the only ones that recognize them islands of enclaves is that what the yep. Vatican is? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and a lot of a lot of geopolitical, uh, not geopoliticians, but geopolitical analysts yeah. think that this is going to be the next hotbed area in the world is yeah. China and Taiwan because China's making a lot of aggressive tones yeah. towards t- Taiwan. Um, I know there's a lot of people in our military who thinks that's that's the next step that's going to be that could be in the cards in the next five years i mean they have been they have been threatening to invade for like mm-hmm. since 1948 when yes they, when they ran when they escaped there um and they 
my understanding is that's one of the reasons why what's going on in Ukraine is so important yeah. is because if the Russians are able to successfully take Ukraine, that gives the People's Republic of China some like a, a foot to stand yeah. on in terms of can we actually do this? Yeah. And so I think that's why you're seeing the United States, a lot of these European nations basically putting a lot of resources lot, yeah. and money, money in, in, into the Ukrainians yeah. stopping Putin. And so far it appears to be working because yeah. everything I've seen is... Oh, did uh, you see his Victory Day parade uh, where it was one tank? Yes, from a museum. <laughs> it was, that, was, that was funny. Um, but it, yeah, from from it appears that he is kind of they're like so like we were joking at the last year around this time that they were pulling tanks out of museums but now they are actually pulling tanks, tanks out, out of museums, museums. Yep. yeah they're one tank the one yeah. tank yeah oh. yeah all right so that's chinese civil yeah, war chinese civil war all right well thank you and uh thank you for listening Thank you for tuning in to History Class After Hours, the show where we talk about the things your history teachers didn't have time to teach you. If you wanted to stay updated on upcoming events for the History Club, please visit www.starsmillhistoryc.wixsite.com forward slash 2020. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends and subscribe to our channel on iTunes Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Be on the lookout for new episodes, and we'll be posting every week. Until next time, stay curious.